are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, praise the Lord. This is the last in the series on, uh, on James. James chapter 5. We're going to do the whole chapter today. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. In this chapter, James is calling for patient endurance in the face of difficulties, face of suffering, persecution. It's a message of hope and encouragement because there's power in prayer. Amen? Some of you don't sound like you're convinced. <laughs> chapter 5, as the previous chapter 4, covers an amazing number of topics which could amount to many, many months of sermons and teachings. Uh, we did, we did uh, James one time uh, for in the first years Effie and I were here and uh, Mark Burrell was doing the teaching but we were, we were in on it and uh, we were a whole year teaching in James and we had some awesome, awesome times. We had one man, he would get so upset, he'd vow many times, never going back to that Bible study again. But the next week he'd be back again, and uh, his testimony was that he he loved it and he grew so much uh, in, in, in those studies. Today is number seven of, and the final message of this series, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will give us revelation to what I feel was his leading for this time at Colette Community Church. Having said that, let's open our hearts to what the Spirit is saying to the church today. In chapter 5, James forms a strong rebuke condemning those who profess to worship God, but in fact, instead, they're worshiping money. He calls on them to examine the true state of their hearts in light of how they feel about their wealth. Now, the Bible do not teach that possessing wealth is sinful in and of itself. In fact, everyone possesses wealth and material, material goods to one degree or another. Moses reminded Israel that the Lord your God is giving you power to make wealth, to have wealth. It's God that gives you the ability to make wealth. This is confirmed, of course, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. It says, it is the blessings of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Now, first of all, let me say right here, 
that when the Bible talks about wealth, it's talking more than about money. In fact, when these, when these verses were written, there was very little money, currency, floating around. They were dealing in camels and sheep and grain, bartering, all of this kind of stuff. But it's wrong to misuse one's wealth. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It's a root of evil. Paul makes it clear in verse 17 that it is God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. The things that you have around you, the stuff that you have, God wants you to enjoy it. But there's a balance, isn't there? We've got to have a balance. James, like Paul, cautions against the love of money that leads people to misuse wealth with which God has blessed them for their own selfish and sinful gain. And this is where we part company with the so-called prosperity teaching. The PAOC and our sister fellowship in the United States, Assemblies of God, stand firmly upon the word of God. This is why I chose to be a PAOC pastor, because of the awesome covering that I have for the gospel that I am called to preach. God wants to bless his people. But let's never forget that we are blessed to be a blessing. His church, his work comes first. So let's just look at the word of God today. First, we're going to read the first six verses. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. We read about people in Scripture who were wealthy. People like Job and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon. But the Bible also warns against the wrong use of riches. We can sin with our money or we can glorify God with our money. 
We can sin with the things that God allows us to accumulate. Or we can bless God with it. But this is what happens when we hoard our wealth. God never intended wealth to become a curse for us. He intended it to be a blessing. Coal Lake and Fort McMurray are really modern-day Corinth. People come into those boom towns, boom cities that become boom cities, but very few people intend to stay. It's come in, get rich, and get out. But listen to the words that James uses concerning the rich who are not using their wealth well. Rot and moth-eaten is a picture of having excess, more than enough. Sometimes you hear people talking about God is a God of more than enough. Why do you think he would give me more than enough? I remember when I was uh, working in Fort Mac in the oil business, and I was beginning to get more money than I ever had in my lifetime. And in those years that I was up there, there was no problem to get 24% and more uh, for your investments. And I was, I would be making up, you know, going over my mind how much I would have by the time I was 55. And I was planning to go to the Okanagan. But then, as I began to draw closer to God, I had another thought that was bombarding my mind over and over again. When you stand before God, When it's all over, you've drawn your last breath and you stand before God. How are you going to answer God as to all of this that you plan to have? And it worried me. It bothered me greatly. And that is around the time when God got a hold of my life and I said, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. To make a long story short, this is why I'm where I'm at today. God has not given us these material blessings and wealth to hoard. God do not bless us so that we can buy bigger and better. We are blessed to be a blessing. Now let me say, I certainly don't believe that God intends for us to be paupers. I believe that if we, were, we are obedient to God and do as his word says regarding wealth, regarding our income, that God will bless us. And when God blesses us, he wants us to be faithful in being a blessing.
Jesus gives the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. After receiving the abundant harvest of riches, the fool said, This I will do, Luke chapter 12, verse 18. This I will do, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. This is a, a true picture of hoarding. Hoarding our blessings. Folks, stuff don't last. Life is short. So we need to plan wisely. And Jesus speaks to this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor destroy nor thieves do break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Next, James in verse 4 addresses dishonest gain, defrauding other, other people, dishonest treatment of others with the intention of getting more, getting more wealth. At what point in our giving are we defrauding God? Are we robbing God? Under the old Testament under Moses' leadership, God chose to make it law to continue a practice of tithes and offerings that goes right back to the book of Genesis. God directed Moses to include it in the laws that he was laying down for Israel. In the New Testament Gospels, Jesus didn't have too much to say about this, but he did say, you ought to continue to do this. In the New Testament church, we're taught to give proportionately to what God's increase in our income may be. James chapter 5, he speaks of self-indulgent living as a way that we can sin with our wealth. Now, only I can answer where I stand in that department. Every one of us stands before God. You can't look at somebody and say, oh, they just bought a new car. Man, that one they had, that could have lasted for another eight or ten years. That's none of my business. That's none of your business. Each one of us stand before God. I can only answer where I stand. One thing is certain, I need to be a good steward of what God has blessed me with. Second, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We all enjoy various material blessings. God desires that we enjoy them, but let's not sin with what God has blessed us with. 
So we have a message of hope. In James chapter 5, verse 7 and 12, it says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, a judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intent by the, by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, neither by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. After giving a heart-wrenching address to those who would misuse their wealth, James now addresses those who were on the receiving end of that greed. You'll remember in chapter 2 that James points out the persecution they received at the hands of the rich. He says, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into court. These Christians are suffering and James gives them a message of hope. This message of hope is filled with wisdom. Be patient. Wait for the Lord to come to your rescue. When he says, talks about the Lord coming, this is what he's talking about here. He's not referring to the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. But God will come to your rescue. God is not going to see you in that, in that rut forever. In James chapter 8, James says, or verse 8 rather, James says that the coming of the Lord is at hand. But in verse 9, that the judge is standing at the door. James tells these Christians that judgment is coming. They are experiencing trials, suffering, and persecution now, but God will fight their battles. And every one of us go through trials and tribulations, we're done wrong by. Sometimes the things that happen to us are at the hands of the people that we should be looking up to, the people who are, should be our examples, and yet they're the very ones that hurt us and bring us down. But James says, the judge is at the door. They're experiencing trials and suffering and persecution now. But God will fight their battles. In Romans 12, verse 19, Paul writes this. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. How often 
Do we try to take matters in our own hands? We take the place of God. And we try to do things that we should be leaving in God's hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. Just as the farmer must wait patiently for his crop to come in, you and I wait for the Lord to answer our prayers in his way, in his time. You know, all of the, the promises of God's word are yes and amen to those who believe. But we are in the microwave generation. And we want answers now. We want instant answers to our prayers. God's word is truth. But I don't see anywhere in the word where he tells us when he's going to do something. And so we can pray in faith and believe. But part of your faith is waiting. Exercising patience. Because God has got a time to move. And those of us who have gone through that know and understand that very well. Do not give up on God simply because your prayer is not answered yet. Amen? That doesn't mean he's not going to come through for you. But you get your eyes on God and get your eyes on the word, word of God. James says in verse 8, establish your heart. That means be convinced in your heart that what God said he will do. We could grumble and complain. But it will only produce negative results. It will cause you and I to walk in unbelief. Take courage. God has spoken. And he will perform it. James uses the prophets and Job as examples of God's faithfulness. Theirs is an awesome testimony of what faith in trial and persecution can do. In verse 12, James stresses the importance to people of our world, of our word. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. In other words, our mere word should be as utterly trustworthy as a signed document, legally correct and complete. When you say yes or when you say no, every person that knows you should be able to say, I know, I don't need anything written on paper. I don't need him or her to swear on the stack of Bibles. What he says he will do. That's what God expects and desires of every man and woman of God. And next, there is power in prayer. James has answered many themes in this epistle, but now he addresses prayer 
in the life of a Christian. Prayer is not something we do as a last resort. Prayer should be something that is as natural as breathing. And we don't just pray about the big things. Get used to praying about the little things. The things that you're thankful for. Prayer should be something that is as natural as breathing. Prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, as we shall see, is very, very powerful. James in chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James begins chapter 1 by addressing suffering and to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Here he's teaching that prayer is the answer to our suffering. The suffering that James is referring to is more than just having a bad day at work. Some days it just doesn't pay to get up, doesn't it? We had one of those days this morning. After my shower, I went put on my clothes and looking for my new belt. Now, usually I use, buy my belts at, at Walmart. They're just, you know, they last something like Timex watch. They'll last for a year. And then they stretch out, and you've got to get another one. But this one was one I usually don't do that, but I won't tell you how much I paid for it, but it was more than Walmart's. So let's put it that way. You know something? I can't find that belt anywhere. So I had to use suspenders this morning. <laughs> well, we hunted and hunted and hunted and looked in every drawer and all the usual places. No, can't find it. Just ain't there. So that's okay. So uh, we're looking for Q-tips. We've got a whole box of Q-tips. Only just took a few out. Effie put some in her bathroom. I put some in mine. They're gone. Can't find them. That's okay. No problem. Praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, right? We're finished breakfast and uh, doing our devotions. 
get to the part and I'm starting to pray and all of a sudden there's a, a smell that comes across our nostrils that's just not right. And we both at the same time said, you smell that? If he runs to the, to the oven and opens the door and the smoke comes bellowing out, there's something is flowing over and it's burning in the oven. So it's getting all the grates out and turning off the oven, getting all the stuff out of the, the, out of the oven, and then Effie is cleaning the oven and everything. We finally got all of that ready. Well, we just got to leave the devotions where it was at. We haven't got time to finish that off. We got to get down to church. And so we're all ready to go out the door. Where's my keys? Started to recollect what, when did I have them? I wasn't outside the door on Saturday, so the last place I was, I went to the Santa Claus parade with, with Libby, came home. Well, I had to have my keys because I let myself in, and, uh, and so they've got to be in the house somewhere, but we looked everywhere. Can't find them. As it happened, Effie still had hers. And so we came to church without my keys this morning, but they're somewhere. So I began to sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. But things happen, and it just seems like one thing after another. And it usually is not when you've got lots of time, but when, you're, when you are under the gun sort of thing. Well, how many know that prayer is more than asking God for something? Prayer also includes reading the word, speaking what God has said, singing the word, singing psalms. Amen? It's coming into his presence with thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing. We don't always have to be kneeling down before God and, Lord, please, please, please help me. There's got to be some times when you take stock of your life, say, Lord, you've been so good to me. Lord, you've blessed me in so many different ways. And I want to give you honor and glory and praise. James 5.13, is there anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. You say, Pastor, I prayed, but I didn't get the answer. Oh, what, what, I think what you mean is, I didn't get the answer that I expected. You realize, of course, that no is an answer. Most times, we don't like to hear no. But no is an answer. The sooner we accept the fact that God is sovereign, we will cease to walk in confusion. Let that sink in. The sooner we realize that God is sovereign, that he's got a plan and a purpose, no good thing will he withhold from those who love him, 
walk uprightly. I can rest in that. Even if some of the prayers that I pray doesn't turn out the way that I thought it would or I hoped it would. My Heavenly Father is just as loving and just as caring as his word says he is. He is more loving and more caring than the most caring father on this earth. And sometimes as little children, we cried when dad said, no, you can't do that because you might hurt yourself. It's not safe for you to do that. We didn't understand. We cried. Some of us even got away with lying on our back and kicking our heels on the ground or stomping. Oh, I want it. But our Father knows what's best, folks. He's going to do what's good, what's right. You remember what Abraham said once? Will not the God of this world, the cell of the earth, do right? Folks, we can rest in the love and the sovereignty of God, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he cares about us. He's not standing over us. You know this, those things you see at carnivals where the, where the gopher pokes up his head and you've got a big mallet and you try to hit him when he pokes up his head. God is not like that. God cares about you. He loves you. When your heart is aching, his heart is aching for you. He wants you to know that you're good in his hands. And so, his ways are higher than ours, and we don't have all the answers. When I go into the home of somebody who has just lost a loved one, a little child, someone whose close relatives have taken their own life, someone that we've prayed for over and over again, and they finally gone home to be with the Lord. I don't try to explain to that family why God allowed this to happen. Usually I just sit with them, pray a short prayer, just talking to God 
not trying to explain what has happened even in my prayers we sometimes do. Because our life is in God's hands. And we know right now no matter what the world has to offer us, one day we're going to be with God forever. And if we get so caught up in what's going on in our lives right now that we can't see the big picture, that we can't see that it is more beneficial for us to die and be with the Lord than to be living on this earth. We live in a well of despair and confusion. We are not living in a good land right now. The world is in turmoil. But 60, 70, 80 years on this earth is nothing compared to eternity. And that's where we need to get our focus on. Because heaven is better than this. And so, he says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You see, it's not always a lack of faith on our part. And it's not always sin in our life. I'm sure there are times when it's a lack of faith because we don't know the word, we don't know what the word says, and so we don't have nothing to, to back what we believe upon. I'm sure sometimes the sins that we commit, the things that we do, is a direct consequence of what, ha what is happening in our lives right now. But it's not always that. There is a serious lack of knowledge of the word of God that keeps many people from receiving what they can receive from God. But the point that James is making here is that it wasn't any old prayer, but it was a fervent prayer given by a righteous man that saw heaven withhold its reign for three and a half years. You will find in this, rec this record in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, one of the greatest battles to ever take place, spiritual battles at least, in the Bible. And after he had won this battle with the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, we see Elijah running for his life. And the fact is that we are no different than Elijah. He was, a, he was cut from the same cloth that you and I are. 
And we're like Elijah. We're strong in church, but we're weak in the world. Man, if we could ever go out into the world and be as strong and as brave as we are in here, the whole world would be saved. Remember Peter when he said, Lord, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows three times, before the rooster crows, rather, you will have denied me three times. Which brings us to verse 19 and 20. If anyone among you wander from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Even with God's intervention through Elijah, the kings and the people of the northern kingdom of Israel persisted in their idolatry. The great miracle that took place. Oh, you think, man, Israel will turn to God now. No, no. We are mistaken if we think, well, you know, if someone was healed in this, in this, in this service this morning, if someone got out of a wheelchair and walked, someone who could never do that in any way possible, only it had to be the hand of God, things would change in Coal Lake. No, no. i tell you what would change. People would start talking about Coal Lake. People would try to dig up dirt on the members. People would try to dig up dirt on the pastor. They tried to shut us down. So when you and I are praying for a great move of God. Realize that what you're praying for is persecution as well. And so, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. How many says amen? Amen. amen. The word of God has to be our guide and compass every day or else we will fail. It's easy to backslide. It's easy to drift from the truth. And it's easy to drift from fellowship with God and God's people. The Bible is filled with illustrations of backsliders. I read this, this uh, um, quote. A famous violinist was asked how long he practiced every day. And he replied that he spent 10 to 12 hours a day with his instrument. And they asked, what would happen if you slacked off? And he said, after one day, I would know it. He said, after two days, the conductor would know it. And after three days, the orchestra would know it. And after that, everybody would know it. And I thought, wow, that sounds good. 
And so it's much like this, the same for the Christian with their Bible. You neglect your Bible, and you neglect to pray, and you know it. You neglect to pray and begin to stray, you begin to stray. And close friends will know it. And it's not long before everyone knows it. A number of your Christian family and friends begin to pray, and the battle is on for your soul, and you're the one who chooses to win or lose. You see, we can pray for people to be saved, but only the person we're praying for can make the choice to believe or not to believe. And everyone hopes and prays that you will not follow the pattern of the prodigal son who stayed away until he was down to nothing. And finally he comes to himself self and comes back to father. But we don't want that for our loved ones. We don't want that for our friends. We don't want that for people who once worshipped with us and now are not worshipping anywhere. We want people to come home now. Worship team, if you can come. A healthy church that takes an active role in bringing lost sheep, encouraging prodigal sons and daughters to come home, is what we want to be. We want to reach out to people who are losing out with God. Let's never look down on someone who is having a difficult time spiritually. Now, it's a different thing when somebody decides, I don't want to go to Colette Community Church anymore. I'm going to go to the Alliance or to the Baptist or to Harvest Life or anywhere else. That's a choice that they make. They feel that they can't worship with us, that's fine. I've always said that. If you can't agree with our doctrines, you can find a place where you can, then by all means, go there. But I'm talking about someone who is losing out in their faith. They're, they're not walking with God. They're not close to God like they used to be. And they need a loving arm, a loving hand, a kind, kind heart, a voice that says, we love you, God loves you. Is there anything I can do to help you? When a member, someone who has been worshiping God with us, steps outside the protection of the body and the church, it is the responsibility of the members to go and bring them back. And folks, listen, I'm just one person. 
if I had to contact each one of you, how many people do you think I could reach in a week? And if I spent all of my time reaching out to you in your homes or wherever during the week, where would I have time to prepare for the word? You see, the church is the ministers of the gospel. Pastors and evangelists and teachers equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. When someone wanders from the faith, James tells us if we go and speak to that person and they repent and come back to Jesus, their soul will be saved from death. And this restoration will cover a large amount of sins, a multitude of sins. That's what it's all about, folks. When everything is said and done, as much as we love our, our worship team, it's not just the shout and the good music and the powerful sense of the Holy Spirit. We want that. We need that. And it's not either or. But it's not just that. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and doing what the Spirit is saying to do when he says to do it. Amen? We are workers together with Christ. Lord, what can we do this week that will touch somebody's life? What can I do this week that will be beneficial to your kingdom? Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, you need to meet with God in any way, you just come. Let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. We've got people that are ready to come and pray with you if you want prayer this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.